Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. That through your word, we would be changed. I pray, Father, that you would use me to point your people toward Jesus. That we would not lean on our own understanding, that we would not desire our own way, that we would seek only Christ. I pray, Father, that this would be a time of worship for us today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to cover the entirety of chapter 2 today. And uh, the title of our message this morning is The Danger of False Teachers. The Danger of False Teachers. Last week... We look together at the trustworthiness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We talked about the ways that, that God has, has shown us that we can trust the testimony of the gospel. And we ended our passage last week with a recognition that the word comes from God. That these things come from God. Peter says that they were written by men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit there at the end of chapter 1. And Peter took special care to point out the truth that no true prophecy or the correct interpretation of any prophecy ever came from the will of a man. If any so-called prophecy comes from a man and not from God, that's a false prophet. And if the interpretation of any prophecy comes from a man and not from God. That's a false teacher. And today, we're going to look at 2 Peter 2, where Peter fleshes out more fully this idea of false prophets and teachers. And you'll notice that my title today is The Danger of False Teachers, not The Danger of False Prophets and Teachers. This is intentional, because there is no more prophecy. Okay? All that needed to be told has been told. And we have what we need in the book that has been given to us by God, the Holy Bible. Okay? Prophecies served a specific purpose. They talked about the coming Messiah. They pointed to the coming Messiah. And even the book of Revelation, which is the final prophecy, talks about what? The coming Messiah. And so we have what we need as far as words from God. Peter himself delineates between the prophets of old and the teachers of the current day, as we're going to see in our passage today. So I want you to remember, I'm saying this to you as your pastor, as your brother in Christ, as your friend. This is the only valid word from the Lord that you should ever receive, brothers and sisters. If anyone ever comes to you and says, I have a word from the Lord for you, and they don't proceed to quote this, you can say, thanks but no thanks, and walk away. They have an interpretation of God's word, fine, but the only word from the Lord that we have, the only word from the Lord that we need is right here in this 
book. And so as we look together at our passage today, bear in mind that there is a danger in following false teachers. There is a danger in even allowing them to have a space in your mind. You might be willing to say, well, you know, they teach some things that are false, but I can take the meat and spit out the bones. That's, that's how a lot of people operate with this. Well, I enjoy, I, I don't like everything that they say, but I like the way that they say it. Brothers and sisters, we should not allow ourselves to fall into the trap of the charismatic false teacher. We should be mindful of what is true and what is not and only align ourselves with teachers who are teaching the truth of God's word and not false teachers. So if you're following along on the listening guide, if you have one of those or if you're just taking notes somewhere, the first point this morning is the certainty of false teachers. The certainty of false teachers. Let's stick together at verses 1 through 3 of 2 Peter chapter 2. So remember, Peter finishes chapter 1 talking about how there is no prophecy from the will of man, but it's coming directly from God. And then he says in chapter 2, verse 1, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there would be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. So before I dive into this text more fully, I want to point out to you, remember how I said Peter delineates between prophets and teachers? He says, but false prophets arose among the people in the past tense, just as there will be false teachers among you. So Peter makes that delineation here for us. All right? And so he begins by pointing back to the reality that just as there were false prophets among the people of God, there will be false teachers that the church must contend with. There will be. And what are they doing? Peter says that they are secretly bringing in destructive heresies. Heresy is any belief or teaching that falls outside of orthodox belief. In other words, something that is contrary to what the church rightly believes. If you're, con if you're confused or concerned about whether or not something is heresy, come ask me. I'll be glad to point to you where the ancient church fathers taught in a certain way. How they said, hey, no, this is what we know to be true. All right? And so if... This is something that we, we talk about on Wednesday nights in our theology class, by the way. We talk about the truth about God versus things that are not true. So we're talking about truth versus heresy. And so these are people who are secretly bringing in these heresies. And the, these things are destructive, Peter says. These heresies are destructive. They destroy people. They destroy unity. They destroy mission. They destroy effectiveness. Because they start believing these lies and all the ways that God has empowered the church to operate and to function come from, as Peter has talked about, right knowledge. 
right knowledge, right understanding by way of the Holy Spirit. And Peter says that they are going so far as to even deny the master who bought them. They are even denying Jesus Christ. Now this can take many forms, whether they're saying that Jesus isn't really God, or if they're saying Jesus isn't really a man, or maybe they're saying that Jesus didn't really die for our sins. You know, whatever it may be, any denial of the person or the work of Jesus Christ is in view here. Anything that goes contrary to what the Scripture tells us about Jesus is what Peter is talking about. They are denying Jesus in some way. And Peter says that they're denying the master who bought them. Now, I want to make sure that we rightly understand what he's saying here, okay? Because this is one of those passages that can help us to, help us be, to be confused about whether or not we can lose our salvation, which is a heresy, by the way. Okay, so when Peter says that they, are, that they are denying the master who bought them, this is not a person who was a genuine Christian and then lost their salvation. This is someone, this is a person who appears to be a genuine Christian, and in that appearance, they look to be someone that Christ bought. They have all the appearances of someone who is a part of the body, who is truly following after Jesus Christ. And then they open their mouth, and you go, oh, okay, yeah, looks can really be deceiving. And when they talk and when they speak about Jesus, you know, no, they're not a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. It's just someone who is shown to not be in Christ through their false teaching. And so going back to this destruction, Peter says bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So not only are they destroying other things, destroying the church, destroying people, but they are bringing destruction upon themselves. Because what they're doing is that their ultimate aim is to lead people astray from obedience to Jesus Christ and to lead people toward an indulgence of their own sinful desires. And as we're going to see in a little while, usually for gain in themselves. So they will encourage people, don't, you don't really need to listen to obey Jesus. You can just do your own thing. Do what you want to do. Do what makes you feel right. Do what your heart desires. Follow your heart, as advised by every Disney princess out there. That's not what the Bible says, brothers and sisters. And what's so wicked about these false teachers is that many will follow them. Peter says in verse 2, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Peter says that they are following, pe that people who claim the name of Christ are going to follow these false teachers into sensuality. Sensuality is the gratification of flesh rather than dying to self, as Christ calls us to. So that's a, true, that's a surefire marker of a false teacher. Are they telling you to do what feels good? Or are they telling you, you have to die and Christ must live? Is that, that's the differentiation there. And Peter says that this is blaspheming the way of truth. These people who say that they are Christians, but who are not submitted to Christ, but rather pursuing their own sinfulness, their own sensuality, they are speaking falsehoods about God. 
If you would like a more concrete example of this, think about right now how many false teachers, false shepherds, false churches are out there encouraging the sexual expression of people in whatever context they desire. You want to have a sexual physical relationship with someone of your gender? Fine. You want to have a sexual physical relationship with multiple people of your gender? Fine. Or the other gender? Fine. Do whatever you want to. There are churches and so-called pastors who are saying that these things are good. They are teaching that God's good design of sexual contact within a marriage between a man and a woman is not only antiquated, but it's wrong. We need to cast those things aside. Throw them in the garbage dump. That's the old way. This is the right way, the good way, the enlightened way. And this is a lie about Christianity. This is a lie about God. This is a lie that says God endorses all forms of wickedness. And there are so many who are being led astray because they love the gratification of their flesh rather than Christ. They are being led astray because they love themselves rather than loving the Lord. And that's really all there is to it. Why do people follow false teachers? Because they don't love Jesus Christ. They love themselves. And false teachers take advantage of that. They capitalize on it. And they do so because of their greed. Peter says in verse 3, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. In some cases, this greed is financial gain. All of us know the stereotype, and in this case, the stereotype is true, of the televangelist. Of the person who is on TV dabbing their forehead saying, for a low, low gift of $55, I'll send you my sweat rag. First of all, gross. I promise none of you want my handkerchief. There is nothing holy or special about it. Okay, I promise. And they have people convinced that if they just send them money, they're going to be blessed. And there's a part of me that feels bad for the people who are exploited by televangelists. And there's another part of me that doesn't. You know why? Do you know why they send their money to televangelists? Because they want financial gain too. Because that's what televangelists tell them. If you send me money, God's going to send it back tenfold, fiftyfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold. You'll be wealthy like me. You can buy a jet. So in a certain sense, I feel bad because they're being exploited. And in another sense, I'm going, maybe you shouldn't love money so much. Maybe you ought to try loving Jesus. And so sometimes it's financial gain. But in other cases, it's a lot more simple than that. They're greedy for the favor of the world. They want the world to look at them and think, look how sweet and kind that person is. Look how tolerant they are. Look, they're a champion for diversity. They're a champion for our cause. They're a champion standing up against the mean old bigoted church and finally letting me be free to be who I am. And they can't, they can't help themselves. They desire, they crave that approval from the world. But in either situation, you are being exploited for their gain. You do not mean anything to them. 
They do not care about you. They only care about themselves. That's all they care about. They do not care who they hurt, who they lead astray. They do not care who ends up in hell because all they care about is getting what they want. And so with these things in mind, with the certainty that false teachers will come and we can see with our own eyes that they are here, we must watch over our life and doctrine so that we will not be led astray. We must. If you don't know what the truth is, it's going to be really hard to spot a lie. And so you must know what is true. Because false teachers have something coming. And their followers are facing the exact same thing. And that thing that is coming is our next point this morning. Their coming destruction. Their coming destruction. Peter says there in the second half of verse 3, and we'll start there and, and read through verse 10. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Despite the fact that it may appear as though God is not going to deal with false teachers, this is something that God has promised to deal with, and he will do it. Peter says their condemnation is from long ago. And their destruction is not asleep. So what does this mean? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, and I'll just reference it here. I won't read the whole passage. But in Deuteronomy 18, God is speaking through Moses and he's telling them, I'm going to raise up another prophet like Moses. And if someone comes and says, I'm a prophet, and they give you a prophecy that doesn't come true, if they speak as though they're speaking for God and it's shown that they're not, kill them. And then in a different place, in Deuteronomy 13, he says, if a prophet arises among you, and it, and it posits that this is a true prophet, that their words have come true, and so they have this level of status, they speak for God, and then they say, hey, you know I'm a prophet, right? Let's go worship these other gods. Kill them too. So on both sides of the coin, if they are a false prophet who is lying about being a prophet, or if they're a false prophet who is leading people toward other gods, God says that the remedy for that is very simple. Put them to death. Now, we are no, long, no longer under the Old Testament, Old Covenant law, so please don't go try to find Joel Osteen's house. Okay? That's not the point that I'm making to you here. What I want you to see is that Peter is illustrating God's commitment to judgment against false teachers. 
He is hearkening back to these words in Deuteronomy where he says false prophets are going to be judged. And because Israel did not follow the commands of God and put false prophets to death, you see what happened? Over and over and over and over again, they are led astray because they don't take seriously the word of God. And Peter here lists several examples. He says, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, so here he says, look, you have these angelic beings whose only purpose is to be messengers and servants of God. And when they sinned, what did God do? He cast them out. And then you have the ancient world, which is filled with God's creation. And they are filled with unrighteousness. And what does God do? He destroys them. And then you have Sodom and Gomorrah, who are these magnificent towns known far and wide. And they are filled with unrighteousness. And what does God do? He destroys them. But Peter gives examples of how there are righteous men in the midst of that that God rescues. And so what is he saying to the church here? He is saying, listen, you might feel as though you have to submit to falsehood in order to save your life. No. Stand firm on the word of God. And God will rescue you. Now that might not mean he's going to save your life. You might die. You might get your head chopped off, hung upside down on a cross, burned at the stake, exiled on an island, or any other such thing. But you know what happens after that? You go to be with God. I cannot think of a better rescue than that. To never have to again be in the sinful world that we live in. God will rescue his people and God will bring judgment upon those who are sinning. That's what Peter says here. He says, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials in verse 9 and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Now, one of the things that I want you to understand here is when he's talking about keeping the unrighteous under judgment, part of it is that he is waiting until such a time as the day of judgment. But part of it is, and we see this in the Old Testament a lot, where there are people groups that he wants the Israelites to go and to conquer as, a, as an arm of his judgment, as a hand of his judgment. But he says, not yet. Not yet. Their unrighteousness is not yet complete. So part of being under that judgment is that he lets them continue to be unrighteous so that it continues to stack up against them. And he is especially going to judge those who are leading people astray. He says in verse 10, and especially those who indulge in the lusts of defiling passion and despise authority. That's really what's at the heart of false teaching. They despise authority. They indulge the lust of the flesh because they want to be God. They want to say no one can tell me what to do or how to live my life. In the face of an eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing God, they say, I do what I want. And their judgment is sure. Their destruction will be swift. And so the last thing that we need to see this morning as we close is that we need to open our eyes. We need to open your eyes. 
It says in the back half of verse 10, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. So we must be watchful. We must be watchful. Don't trust that everyone who calls themselves a teacher, that calls themselves a prophet, that calls themselves a pastor, has your best interest at heart. I know a lot of people who've gone through seminaries, who've heard right doctrine, and come out on the other side as false teachers. That's not a statement against the seminaries. That's a statement against their own heart. Do not trust what I say to you just because I am your pastor. You are called, church, to hold me accountable to right doctrine, to right teaching. If I teach something that is wrong, come to my study with your Bible and say, Preacher, I don't think that was right. And we'll talk about it. That's your responsibility. And if you hear me from this pulpit start spouting off heresies and, blasph and blasphemies, fire me. Brother Mike, come tackle me out of the pulpit. Take over. Don't trust that just because I'm your pastor, I'm never going to lead you astray. I have no intention to, but don't take that for granted. So what should we be watching for? We should be watching for people who are bold and willful. They don't tremble before the things of God. Peter says there's no trembling in them even as they blaspheme. Watch out for false teachers who are bold and willful. Peter says that they revel in the daytime. This is a statement talking about how they are open and bold about their sinfulness, about their falsehood. They don't even hide it in the darkness. He says, while they're feasting with you, they are enjoying their sinfulness. He says that they have an insatiable taste for sin, that their eyes are full of adultery. How you should understand this is that instead of looking for ways to glorify God, instead of looking for ways to honor God and be like Christ, they're constantly looking for loopholes. 
They're constantly searching for ways that we can say, well, you know, you don't really have to do that. You can kind of go this way, and, and you, there's, there's some wiggle room, you know, those kinds of things. Watch out for people who are always looking to entice unsteady souls. One of the things that you see about false prophets and false teachers is that they are constantly looking for people who are dissatisfied with the things of God. They are constantly looking for people who are kind of on unstable footing, who are kind of like, is this really all there is for me? And that's who they're targeting. They're seeking out those that it seems like it would be easy to bring them under their wing. And what do they do? They try to shut out all other spiritual influences in their life. They say, I'm the only spiritual guide that you ever need. I'm the only one that you ever need to listen to. They are constantly looking for gain. Peter ties this to the story of Balaam, who was a prophet for hire. You could go hire this guy to go speak a negative prophecy against your enemies in battle. That's what he was doing. And so one day, a king hired him to come and speak a, speak a prophecy against Israel. And God wouldn't let the donkey go. And he's beating the donkey and beating the donkey. And finally the donkey says, hey, what are you beating me for? And Peter literally says, this guy is so far off that, he, that, a, that a, a donkey is used to bring him under correction. Don't follow after false teachers. He says that they are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. That means that they are of no value or use to the kingdom. They are not of use to the body. They are not of use to the, to the kingdom. They are of use to themselves. He says that they have loud boasts of folly. This manifests itself in things like, hey, listen, don't, don't worry about what the church has said for thousands of years about this thing. They all got it wrong. Listen to me. I got it right. These false teachers, Peter says, are slaves to their sin and their flesh. They think that they have freedom from the trappings of the church, from the restrictions of the Bible, and what they really are is slaves to their own flesh. They have no freedom whatsoever. They are trapped in sin. And so when Peter says there in verse 20, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. What Peter is saying here is that they really haven't escaped the entanglements of the world. They haven't really escaped the defilements of the world. They say that they have. But when he says that they have the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he, when he says that they have that knowledge, here's what he's talking about. He's talking about people who have sat in church, who have sat in the gathered body of the believer of believers and have heard the truth of the gospel over and over and over again. They hear it. They know it. They could tell you the Romans road. They could recite the ABCs that you learn in vacation Bible school. They could tell you how to be a Christian. But they're not. Their lives showcase that they're not. And eventually, they start leading people astray because they're not really saved. And what does Peter say? Peter says, if you've heard this and you've rejected it, 
you're worse off than if you'd never heard it. Because you're facing a significant type of judgment now. You're facing judgment for leading people astray. That's why he says it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. And in verse 22, he sums it all up. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. In other words, non-Christians are going to act like non-Christians. False teachers are going to teach like false teachers. It might be different for a time, but they're eventually going to come back. You can't make them what they aren't. That's why you shouldn't listen to eat the meat and spit out the bones. Because they're going to keep going back to their own vomit. And all they're giving you is vomit. They're not giving you truth. They're not giving you the word of God. And so how do we guard ourselves against false teaching? Well, Paul says in Ephesians, one of the things that God has done to help us guard against false teaching is he has given us the church. Ephesians chapter 4, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Paul says here in Ephesians 4, how do you know whether your teacher is a true teacher or a false teacher? Where are they leading you? Where are they pointing you? False teachers point you to yourself. They point you to yourself. But true teachers point you to Christ. They point you to Jesus Christ. I'm not up here telling you I have all the right answers and I have all the keys to right doctrine. I'm telling you, look to the Word of God. Look to the Word of God made flesh in Jesus Christ. That is where truth is found. True teachers lead us toward maturity and conformity to Jesus Christ. False teachers lead us toward indulging ourselves and enriching them. That's the differentiation. And so as I said earlier, you must be watchful over your doctrine because if you don't know the truth, you will never be able to spot error. You won't. When I was a teenager, my youth pastor from time to time would do this thing where he would start listing off well-known statements, some of which people claim to be in the Bible and some of which not. And he would say, okay, is this from the Bible? Is this from the Bible? Things like cleanliness is next to godliness. God helps those who help themselves. Things like that. Not in the Bible. And those are small things, 
that might seem insignificant, but let's take that last one for a second. God helps those who help themselves. Let's think about that for a second. What does that say about the gospel? It says that you can help yourself, and you can't. You cannot do anything to contribute to your salvation. And so even in a little small thing that so many people think is in the Bible, that's heresy. That leads people astray. That causes people to think, I can earn my way into God's grace. And you cannot. You must know the truth. And there's only one way to do that. To be in the Word of God. Day after day after day. Teenagers, this is especially important for you. Because every day, you go to school. And from your peers in some cases from your teachers, you are hearing things that are not true. You are hearing things that run counter to the scriptures. You are hearing things that are leading you astray. And if you don't know what the Bible says, you're just going to follow that path right on to destruction. And all the adults are nodding their head, but you're not immune. You're not immune. You can't be at home watching Dr. Phil and thinking that he's teaching people right scripture. Because he's not. Or Oprah. Or Ellen. Or anybody else. There is one place that truth is found. And that is in the Word of God. And so we must, must focus our minds and our hearts and our lives upon knowing and believing and memorizing and thinking about and meditating on the scriptures. Because every word from God leads us to the majesty of Christ. That's what it does. All the promises of God find their yes in Christ. All the prophecies that were listed out in the scripture were talking about Jesus. All of it goes to him. And so the only thing that we should trust fully is God's word. Not even ourselves. We should be together in the church, as Paul says, so that you can be equipped to rightly understand what you're reading, so that you can know what this is saying and what it's not. And so what do we do, church, with false teachers and false teaching? We reject it. We reject it. No, we reject it. We cast it out. We do not give it even a moment of our time. And instead, we focus on the Word of God. We trust in Jesus Christ to rescue us from the things of this world, to pull us out of our own commitment to our own sensuality and depravity, to trust in Him, to be like Him, to not be conformed to the things of the world, but to be transformed by the renewal of your mind that we would be like Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for truth. For truth that you have given us in your word. For truth that you have shown us from pulpits and Sunday school classes and children's ministries and youth ministries. That, Father, you have shown us the way to be saved through Jesus Christ. 
And so this morning, Lord, I pray that during this time of response, that all of our hope would be in him. That we would not seek out teachers to make us feel good about ourselves, to encourage us to submit to our urges, Lord, to gratify our flesh, but that we would trust in Christ and in Christ alone. And we pray this in his name. Amen.